We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, Yummy Mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. Now, how are we today? I'm absolutely terrible. My voice is a few octaves lower and I've just had an epiphany. So last month I didn't drink and I felt like best version of myself. I was so happy and just so proud of myself. And if for some reason, and I don't know if other people have this, but a week before my period, I have this urge to drink alcohol and there's like no filter. Like I just, it's a one night thing where I just drink, 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 drink. And I wake up the next day and I feel so disgusted in myself. And I just, I'm I'm realizing that it's just not worth it. Like I actually mm. feel better not drinking like full stop, just not drinking alcohol. I'm I just I don't know. It's just I know right now because I feel hungover and I feel terrible, but overall well, making not, that decision. Like, you know it's a repeated pattern yeah. at the same time each month. And it's just that one time each month, but it, honestly, it has such an impact on me that yeah. I really yeah, I, I just don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that. don't be sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, but I'm sorry <laughs> that you're make you're so hard on yourself. I should today. be. And don't worry, we did not record this whole oh, no. <laughs> episode with her in this yes. mindset. Yes. So if she's suddenly all chirpy, she's not putting on. That's a front. the following that week. Was, no, yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, that was recorded another day. But yeah, how's your week been otherwise? Harry's back. Harry is back. Hence why I relaxed a little bit <laughs> a little bit maybe too Harry much needs to go away again <laughs> no yeah maybe but um no I've had a really good week it's been a really productive week but it's all been well rested and the girls are all happy no one's currently sick so oh god don't say things like that oh, touch wood, touch wood, touch wood. <laughs> how are you I'm good. I'm super excited. So we are recording this intro a little bit earlier in the week than we normally do. And that's because I'm off to Sydney this afternoon. So first trip away with all three girls. We're going on the plane, but I figure it's an hour flight. So it's a nice little, you know, like tester because we do have a few flights planned this year. So I'm like, okay, let's just tick off the hour flight first, but I'm excited to get away for, we're going away for four days and just be just with the family. We're going to be in a hotel room. So there's like no housework that can be done by anyone. You know, no one has to do any cooking. We're just going to eat out. We're going to go to the Taronga Zoo. We're going to go on the ferry and we have a really exciting photo shoot while we're down there as well. So I'm just really excited to do that and kind of like take on the challenge. I'm really pumped because we love travel. So we've got to kind of 
start at some point. So why not today? So that's really, really good. But my mum hack is actually related to this. And that is that one of the things that I've found the hardest to keep on top of since having my third child, and especially because she's such a spewer, she's created so much more laundry. But at the best of times, even when I had two kids, even if I had, even when I had one kid, even when I was a bachelorette, <laughs> I found doing the washing is fine, but putting the folded washing away is just the Have bane of my, my existence. The whole and it doesn't ever happen. And I know so many people like yourself share this experience. If you hear tapping, it's my breast pump hitting the microphone. I was just, why you kept playing and it's not. I just turned my portable breast pump off so that I can record because this is the first time I've been away from Pearl to record. So excuse me if you heard that tapping. But my hack is that in the lead up to your flight, whether it's intentional or not intentional, don't put the washing away because then you can just put the folded washing straight from the laundry basket into the suitcase. And it tends to be their, the kids' favourite clothes anyway because it's like what you've had to wash because it's been worn anyway. I was getting all stressed about packing for three. I literally sat down yesterday with the two washing baskets of clean clothes next to me, their entire suitcase packed, done. done. There was undies, there was socks, there was their favourite clothes. I was like, well, that was easy. I should really throw out the rest of the wardrobe because let's be honest, it's the same three items of clothing (laughs) that they wear over and over again. But that's my hack for the week. And I I think you've got a Rudolph Fabulous for us. I do. Rudolph Fabulous is. I was driving in the car. I picked up the girls from school yesterday and I was listening to one of our recordings for next week and Billy says to me, Mum, Every time I listen to your podcast, I get a headache. <laughs> <laughs> I called Sophie and I'm like, I've got a rude or fabulous. So what do you think, rude or fabulous? Oh, look, I think it's fabulous because like if my kids turned around, I wouldn't be offended. Like they have to deal listening to my voice all the time as their mother. Totally. If I then <laughs> instead of them listening to like their song or their show in the car made them listen to my voice again, I would understand if it gave them a headache. Also, but it is rude. On the back of it, though, she goes, "No, I just like I get all hot, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right, I'm turning it off." She has an allergic yeah. reaction. Well, Goldie came up to me this morning and grabbed my tummy and said, "Oh, another big baby, so oh. squishy, squishy." So you know, we've reached that. Yeah. Anyway, I said, "There's not another baby in there." She's like, "Yeah, let's just pretend though, because it looks like it." I'm like, "Okay, we'll play pretend that there's another baby in my tummy." So this week we have sibling rivalry. Yes. And it is really interesting, isn't it? It's been so cool. I've been observing the girls fighting since we recorded this and I I kind of wanted to observe before I put too many of the strategies in place. And honestly, I've loved, I've listened to this twice now and I've got so much from it because when there's siblings, fighting is just inevitable and it can just be so Mm. hard to know what am I meant to do? Is this normal? Are they psychopaths because (laughs) they act like this towards their sibling? And yeah, I just loved it to know that I'm not alone, but also there are things that you can do. And then there's also things that you don't have to do. You can Mm. just sit back and watch it unfold. I'm going to go have a nap. So, (laughs) guys, you enjoy the episode and we'll see you next week. (laughs) 
Hello, Emily, and welcome back to Beyond the Bump. For those who don't know who you are, are you able to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Thanks so much for having me back. So um, my name is Emily. I'm a child and adolescent clinical psychologist, and I work primarily with families who have children with developmental diagnoses and a lot of anxiety. And I also run an online platform called The Playful Psychologist, where, where I just share like a lot of tips and tricks for families, for teachers and for other allied health professionals as well. Now, what we are talking about today is all about sibling fighting and sibling rivalry. Our listeners and followers have been asking for it for a long time and we ourselves personally feel like we need some tips and tricks because it's it's muddy waters to know what you should be doing or what is normal. For sure. I think it can be really hard as well because like, sibling fighting is such a normal part of like social development but so Mm. frustrating for parents like no parent wants to feel like they're refereeing like 24 hours a day like I said one of our first kind of experiences to that social world it's our first real interaction with with our peers and they're really important and they are powerful components of our socialization and they do foster the development of our not only our social skills but our emotional skills as well like um, emotional regulation skills well, I was an only child, so I never got any of this. I, I did fought with my little soft toys. I didn't have anyone to actually go back at me, so I was winning every argument. Yeah, perfect. And I see that now, like with my little one, so I'm expecting but my little one's only child, only grandchild on each side of the family. So I see some things that I'm like, oh, okay, that's going to be an issue in a few months when he's not the only one. You know, I'm like, okay, I'll write that down. And yeah, I'll- take note. Because we know this fighting is important. If you are one and done and you're not having any more, like what should you be conscious of to make sure, mm. you know, that your child comes into contact with? Because you kind of let things go when it's the siblings, but you don't necessarily let your child like treat their friend the same way or a random kid at the park so w- w- what do you do yes yeah it's a really good question and it's like I don't want people to listen and go oh Jesus Christ I'm only having one kid I've ruined my kid's social like development yeah. they're gonna be able to like that's not the case at all when when there is only one child in a household that's more than fine it's just about making sure that when those lessons do arise that we're equipped to help them deal with those situations because up until they start school or preschool or daycare they may have never had to share anything before and that can be a really like scary experience going from like never having to share your stuff never having to share your parents attention anything to all of a sudden having to share a teacher with 30 other kids in the classroom and having to learn to share toys and resources and tools So it's just about being mindful that those things might not necessarily come as easily or as quickly because they haven't been in those situations, but just really supporting them through that and not always trying to teach a lesson. I think that's the most important thing. Mm. It's not always like you need to learn to share or sharing is caring or sharing is important. It's more like, hey, I get it. Like that's really, that's a tough one. You've never actually had to share anything before. And now all of a sudden you have to share all this stuff with all these kids. That must be really hard for you and just get a feel of like what exactly is going on for them so that we can then set them up for success rather than kind of shutting it down and only focusing on the behavior of like not sharing. I think it's about as well though, like adults asking the right questions around those sorts of things. So not giving kids a chance to like shut down the conversation, being like, wow, that must've been, I noticed that you looked a little bit scared or I noticed that you were running away. What was going on for you? Something's obviously scared the shit out of you. Let's talk that through. 
So if you do have more than one child, what is considered a normal amount of fighting? So sibling fighting, I just want to preface, is so normal. Like I said, it'd be like so frustrating for parents, but it's really, really normal. Kids can get along really well in one moment and then suddenly be yelling at Mm. each other. There's arguments, jealousy, unwillingness to share, competitiveness. That's all totally normal sibling behavior. It can occur multiple times a day. It can occur once a day. It can occur once a week. And then it might be sometimes it's every all day, every day, and then there might be a week break and you think you've turned a corner and then... (laughs) (laughs) So true. Yeah, there's no like predictability to it. It. And it can be things like using each other's belongings without asking and then one sibling getting really upset, knocking down towers or Lego creations, breaking toys, running away with something that one sibling knows the other child like really like is their prized possession, you know, difficulty sharing. All of those things, as frustrating as they may, may be, are totally normal components of sibling fighting. Okay. And are there any kinds of behaviors or anything that we should be looking for in terms of, okay, this has gone too far? Because I feel like sibling fighting can be brutal, but can also be normal. So how do we know when it's maybe how going far out is too far? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it kind of depends on family, right? Like so far you grew up with two brothers. I grew up with a brother and like all my cousins were male. So I was beat up a lot as yeah. a kid. And for me, the, <laughs> that was just life. You know what I mean? Like that was just what it was. And now looking back, I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe there were more appropriate ways to deal with that. I think it comes down to going like, is there a specific child in the family that seems to be a bit more manipulative over the other one? And is that causing distress to that child? I'm not talking like crying a little bit dobs and gets over it. I'm talking about are they really upset about it a couple of hours or even the next day later and that sort of thing. So it kind of depends what each child in the situation is getting out of it and what they're experiencing but also obviously safety concerns there's always going to be one sibling that might be a little bit you know physically bigger than another that they might not even know their own strength so it might be like a little bit of a push which may may not matter if they're the same weight and height but if one's a little bit bigger and one's a little bit smaller and there's a push they might go flying across the room so it really comes down to each family's circumstances. There has to always be boundaries at home, right? Like Mm. every family should have boundaries that are appropriate to their situation. Like for us, it's like hands are not for hitting and there's just quite frankly no excuse for hitting. That's a rule that I've like tried to instill from six months of age really where I don't even know if he understood it, but I've said it since my little one was six months old. Are there times he hits? Absolutely. But the boundary is there and he knows it's not okay. But number two, I think it's all about making sure that you have a connection with all your kids in your family so that if something is happening and they are distressed or they are unsafe, they can come up to and let, and they feel comfortable letting you know that one of their siblings is hurting them and that you're not necessarily going to like not believe them or dismiss it or anything like that. Because I always say as well, there's no measure of pain. So what may be really painful to you may not hurt me at all, emotionally and physically, right? So if your child is coming up to you and saying, hey, my brother's done this and it's really upset me or it's physically really hurt me, we have to acknowledge that that's an experience that we're not a part of and we need to acknowledge that the emotion that's driving that experience and that 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 experience is valid even though we might not see it as a big deal. 
Absolutely. So the communication doors need to be wide open. If your children aren't opening up to you, it's not necessarily that you've done anything wrong and that's the reason they're not opening up to you. It's that they just don't, maybe they don't even have the words or the emotions or the vocab to explain it. So it's just about helping them by like asking those questions that's going to prompt a bit more like information gathering rather than like assuming that just because they've given you a really short answer that seems to satisfy the, you know, tick the box that you want to hear that the situation is done and dusted with. While we're on the topic of kind of not that telling a parent is dobbing, but my eldest who's five, she for years has been the <laughs> biggest diva dobber. Yeah, since she came out of the womb, <laughs> she has dobbed on everyone to the point that we jokingly call her the narc because we're like she's going to be an undercover cop and if anyone has drugs on them, she'll be <laughs> the one that reports them. And obviously I don't want to discourage her from communicating with us but there's also a line where it's like oh my god let that child just play you don't need to come and tell us every time they slightly step a foot out of line what do you do in those situations yeah so it depending on the age of the child I might even say something like okay thanks for letting me know but what can we do in that situation yeah or like what did he do or she do that's got you so stressed, almost like scaffold them to problem solve for themselves. If it's a point where like one of them's dobbing and they're like, you dobbed and you did this. No, I didn't, blah, blah. One strategy that I love is going like, it's not a timeout. It's not a punishment, but both, I'm going to put you both together and I want you to hash this out together and figure it out. And I'm going to be over here. And if it gets out of hand, I'll intervene, but I want you to try and hash this out together. And that might be more for when the both kids are above the age of like six or seven. Yeah. But sometimes I feel like instead of being like, you don't need to dob or like, don't worry about yeah. it, or just let it go. It's more about going like, okay, well, what does that mean for you? And like kind of making them realize that, oh, it's actually not that big a deal and just scaffolding their train of thought to get to that point or get to that problem solving by themselves. And is there a certain age gap where fighting <laughs> or rivalry is worse or is it pretty much going to happen with any siblings? Yeah, I I don't, not necessarily. I think it comes down to family dynamics a lot too. Obviously, if there's like a giant age gap, not giant, but like a 10 plus year age gap, that's going to be a little bit different. But like I had a best friend growing up whose sister was two years younger than her and they fought over like outfits, makeup and all that sort of stuff. Whereas I grew up with a younger brother who was five years younger than me and we grew up fighting over different things like him coming into my room or like trashing my stuff. So I think siblings are going to fight over different things at different ages. I don't think necessarily there's like a perfect age gap I wish there was because I would probably aim for it but I don't don't think there is no I have a 16 month age gap with the two older girls and they are like at the moment they're eight and nine there's not much you can do when you're driving but my gosh if one of them looks the wrong way at the other one they get to a point they're so outrageous that they're screaming one of them's in tears it's usually Billy and it's just a really hard situation to try and deal with because you don't have much control when you have to look straight and you're looking in the rear vision mirror saying, I'm going to, if you don't do that, you're not getting this. Yeah, totally. I think it's one of those things as well where you always have to like choose to intervene when it's appropriate for everyone. 
you know, like you don't have to intervene in sibling fighting all the time. And like, that's a prime example of like, obviously car safety issue in that situation. So you've just got to focus on what you're doing. And you might say, you might be like, guys, stop. We'll talk about this when we get home, but that's enough. You might say little things like that, but you don't always, always, always have to jump in. I always say, try and step in if someone's asking for help or someone might not be safe. If they look like they might be able to resolve it themselves, or it just is one of those things that they just has to fizzle out. Like they're just shitty for no reason. Let them at least try. Like I said earlier, when it comes to siblings, that can often be our first taste of the real world and those social relationships so letting them learn through those experiences can be quite beneficial in itself and letting them fizzle out like sometimes if if they're fighting over what seems like nothing it probably means one of them's already at breaking point and it might have been a few things that have Mm. happened over the day that have nothing to do with their sibling that have just gotten them to that point so it's just unfortunate in that situation that the sibling was the trigger, but it could have been everything, anything, and they might just need to get that out. And I think as well, like when it comes to resolving that conflict, it's getting to the root problem. Like is the trigger actually the sibling and what the sibling has done or the way they're breathing or the way they're looking, or are they just like emotionally spent for the day or like has Mm. something else happened? Have they had a crappy sleep? Are they hungry? Often it's about trying to teach kids to communicate their needs, but not, taking it out on someone else. And that's not a process that happens overnight. Mm. It's a, it's a learning curve, like anything in child development. So yeah, it's just about trying to identify what the actual trigger was. And that can be done after the fact. It doesn't have to be done in a moment. That's actually a really good suggestion because I noticed that those fights do happen after school in the car. That's when, and they're tired, they're hot and they're hungry. And also they're stuck somewhere. So they can't get away from one another. They're literally sitting there with a seatbelt on. They have no choice but to be next to that person. Mm. 100%. And they, you know, they've been learning all day. They're just spent and they might've had like fights with friends or something's happened in the pickup line. You know, you just don't know because they don't tell you at that age especially so it's just really hard to get it out of them but also I would just be really mindful of the fact that the trigger is probably not the sibling it's just wrong place wrong time so the main reasons to step in are someone's getting physically hurt someone's asking for help I'm often confused because my girls they're five and three and a lot of the fights start from snatching Mm. and you know one of them might cry but I'm like is that enough of a reason to step in when you say you know let them hash it out on their own, is it best to say like, I understand you're upset, but I think you two can work it out. So they know that you care and you, you can see there's a conflict going on, or are you best to just stay out of it and stay silent? Yeah. It kind of depends on the situation. There are times where you, you'll kind of go like, I'm just staying out of this one or like (laughs) I as the parent don't have the capacity right now I'm tapping out and there are going to be other times where you might have a bit more of the capacity to jump in and be like hey guys I can see that something's going on here why don't you take turns of letting me know what's going on but I think one of the things and I think again it comes down to like just parents being mindful of what is appropriate and what's not appropriate and I think sometimes as parents we have these really high expectations of what kids should be doing and I'm guilty of this and this is like my area of expertise but kids don't have the brain power or the cognitive capacity to be able to share under the age of five you know what I mean so when they're snatching and then we're like stop snatching they're like what do you mean 
you know, so it, it's really hard to go, I'm trying to teach a lesson here, but I need to keep it appropriate for like a couple of different age gaps that like a couple of different age groups that I'm using. So in that case, you might go like, maybe I need to talk to each child a little bit separately, or maybe I need to talk through, you know, what's going on here and, and, and figure out whether that's the actual problem. Was it the snatching or was it like that that's the favorite toy that we don't want the little sibling touching? You know, it could be a bit of anything. So if they're not expected to be able to share really below five, mm. how, how, like, how do we function as a household? <laughs> like do we, you know, if you've got two kids, do you have two of everything? Do you, how, like how do you function? <laughs> totally, totally. So I think it comes down to go, like I often say to families when like sharing is like a big trigger in families, I go, if they're under the age of six, sometimes it can be a little bit too much to ask. So what I would suggest is that each child has like a box of non-negotiables where it's like, that's my box of toys and that belongs to me. Because I think at the same time, it is important for kids to be able to express that something belongs to them because mm. it might be really important to them, might have sentimental value. You know, you just never know. So I often say like, have a box of non-negotiables. This is my box. This is your box. They stay in each other's rooms and you're not allowed to touch them. And then you have, you know, all the other toys in the toy space that sharing is fine and that's where we intervene and that's where everything else is for game. It is a challenge to stay on top of stuff like that. There are some things that you're going to want to want two of, like two colouring books, two sets of crayons. Mm-hmm. So someone, both people want to colour in Peppa Pig and you only have one shade of Peppa Pig pink, then yeah, that's shit, okay yeah. because you've got the two, you know, in that regard. But you're not going to buy two play kitchens or two mud kitchens or that sort of thing. So in that regard, I think it's, again, just scaffolding going, oh, you know, they're fighting because this one wants a turn, but that one was playing with it first. It's okay to jump in and go, oh, you're really frustrated because you wanted a turn, but she's playing with it right now. Hey, why don't you have a few more minutes and then we might swap roles and you can be the customer. And again, it's just about scaffolding rather than going, you guys have to share or you guys Mm. stop fighting. Instead of using that language, which doesn't really teach the problem solving ability for them to be able to then implement it in the future. It's all about going like, hey, how can we figure this out so that everyone gets a fair go? I love the box idea because I feel like that Mm. would keep the house clean too (laughs) because my kids would pretend that every toy is a non-negotiable for sharing. So they'd both just have these overflowing boxes up in and the box. house would be spotless my eldest is she's quite some would call it manipulative I'll call it savvy but she realized that saying something was special meant that she didn't have to share it and now you could pick up like a broken Barbie shoe special. that we don't know where the other one is and she goes oh but that's my really special shoe I can't share that one <laughs> I am bringing in the boxes and my house I'm never going to step on a piece of Lego Watch again it's going to be spotless my girls say this saying to Yumi, you get what you get oh, and you yeah. don't get upset. And I always get like shook when they say it because I'm like, what? Where do we go from there? Yeah, it's so tough. For me, there's actually, that's the name of a kid's book. You get what you get and you don't get up. I heard a teacher say it when My I was at My kids learned it at yeah. daycare and I was kind of like, well, 
I'm 30. How old am I? 31. And I'm like, I get upset. I get upset when I don't get what I want. Yeah. <laughs> and if I'm like, if someone serves me a food that I don't like, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm not eating this. <laughs> like, so same thing. Like, why is there one rule for us and not for them? Totally. But yeah, it, it's so hard. I think as well, like, like I said, I think it comes down to sometimes we just have these really unrealistic expectations of child behavior. And we're just really quick these days to go, that's not normal. And I need to fix it or something's wrong. And sometimes I think that comes from like the, Social media is beautiful and it has so many like good qualities, but that comparison game that parents play, it can be really, really tough. And, you know, like so many people only share the highlight reel because who wants to put a photo of their kid throwing a dirty nappy at their sibling? Like no one wants to put that up, but it happens and it's real life. So I think if you're worried about whether something might be like a little bit abnormal or you're worried that something is going too far, get that second opinion because it's never going to hurt. A second opinion is never going to hurt. You're either going to get to that appointment and someone's going to say, you know what, this is actually pretty normal and you're going to feel a little bit better. Or you're going to go to that appointment and someone's going to say, yeah, look, let's work on this. And you're going to have gotten in there early and you're going to have advocated for your kids and your family, which is a beautiful thing in itself. So either way, if you've, if you've got concerns, grab that second opinion. It's, it's literally never going to hurt. And even if it is quote unquote normal, that doesn't mean that there's not any strategies that can help. Like, you know, what we're talking about right now is still normal behavior, but we're still learning things that can mm. make the situation easier. I love this question. Does it matter whose fault it is? Mm, that's a really good one. So for me, it doesn't necessarily matter whose fault it is unless someone is constantly getting hurt, is constantly emotional, is constantly upset, or it's clear, really clear that someone's in the wrong. So like someone's punched on, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> but even so for me, it's not necessarily about figuring out who's in the wrong because someone is always going to think the other person is in the wrong, right? In in a fight. It's about helping them manage the situation in a way. So if or when they feel hard done by in the future, they're able to figure out why. So again, even if someone's punched their brother or sister, they're obviously in the wrong. Hands are not for hitting. But why did they Mm. do that? Was something said that was really triggering or did they have a really shitty day and had a huge fight with their best friend and it was just the straw that broke the camel's back? So for me, it's not necessarily, again, about like physical triggers, like snatching, it's emotional triggers. Someone may yell at their sister, but why are they yelling? Like, what are they frustrated? Are they jealous? Are they annoyed? So yes, I think if there's like someone that constantly looks like they're being victimized, absolutely. I think it's important to get down to the to what's going on. But even more important than that, it's like, why? Why is that happening? That is hard though, isn't it? Because me is more of the cheeky, like That's greasy, coffee. like yeah. she'll do that with her hand and be like, haha. And then Billy's very loud and vocal. So she's usually the one that gets told off because all we hear is Mia! And you're like, Billy, stop doing. So she's the one that's reacted, but in a way she's the one getting in trouble because she's reacted because she's being pissed off by It's funny because our household is the same and it's the first and the second like that where Poppy will use you know, quiet words will scheme, will take things slyly off Goldie. And Goldie's the type who turns around and just bops you if she doesn't (laughs) like what you're doing. And so often it's Goldie getting in trouble, but you know that she's got there because Poppy has like done something very much on purpose that she knew that was going to be the end result. So what do you do in those situations, you know, to support their difference without looking like you favor one over the other? 
Yeah, totally. So it is so hard because, and it, and it is a real challenge to kind of get that balance right. But I just want to like explain something. I don't want to get too technical, but I just want to explain something in regards to like family systems theory, because it can help us break it down a little bit more. So to put it really simply, there's this theory called family systems theory, and it shows us that in every relationship in a family affects every other relationship in the family. So the relationship between mum and dad affects siblings. The relationship between two siblings may affect the other and may affect the parents and so on. So the family is a whole system and it's affected by all those relationships between different family members. So if there are big issues between siblings in a family that go past like normal sibling behaviour and one sibling is constantly being rough or getting in trouble, getting told on, that's going to affect every other relationship and if one sibling is always getting yelled at by the parent that's going to affect their relationship with the parent but also the relationship with their sibling so it's really important to go what's the fine line here like and in that case you might have to talk to each sibling individually and empathize with them and listen back to the emotion again underlying the behavior I know I sound like a broken record but I just think it's so important because I think we have this tendency to focus on the behavior and then when we do that we're, we're missing the point or we're missing the child's point mm. in the situation. So like if there's a child that's being particularly rough, they're probably experiencing really intense emotions and not always, but if a child is go- going out of the way to be sneaky and gain some control over the other one, maybe they're feeling a little bit burnt out or maybe they're feeling a little bit overwhelmed or something's happening at big school that, you know, they don't feel like they're in control of their own friendship. So they try then to do it at home and that sort of thing, or maybe something's happening to them at school. And so they want to come home and be the boss of the siblings you just never know. So I think sometimes you do need to break it down and go to the individual child and go, Hey, like, I get it. She she did this to you and then you hit her, but hands are not for hitting. You know that that's our rule here or that's our boundary, whatever. What can we do next time? So I think it's about even so, stepping back and going, what's driving this behavior and how do I get to the bottom of it? And obviously there's going to be in extreme cases where sibling fighting just goes way too far. And in that case, like some, again, intervention from a psychologist or a family therapist might be really beneficial because sibling conflict when it gets really intense, even when it's not that intense, can be a really stressful environment for the whole family. Mm -hmm. Parents are just burnt out and exhausted from trying to have to mediate all day. And then the, the sibling that might not be involved you know, if there's three, we'll be sitting there being like, Jesus Christ, I live in a madhouse. Everyone's (laughs) always yelling and everyone's always on edge. So it's like I said before, it's just never a bad idea to get some help if you're feeling that overwhelmed. I find this really interesting because as an only child and being a parent to three girls, I am not aware of any of this. So when I brought my third child home, the girls were at an age where they were starting to bicker and starting to fight And I didn't know that was normal, in quotations, sibling fighting. I, one, didn't know when to intervene. I didn't know if it was normal and how far is too far when you see them, like, screaming or physically. Like, should you intervene before they start, you know, physically getting involved? Like, when is the line? Yeah, this is one of my questions because I feel like siblings know one another so well that they know the exact Mm -hmm. buttons that piss the other one off and... You know, you, you're watching it unfold yeah. in front of you and you know what the outcome is going to be. It. But no one's hurt or upset yet. Should <laughs> you dive in there or do you just grab the popcorn and watch it play yeah. out? Yeah. 
I think it's, again, I think it comes down to like, what do you have the capacity for and what's coming up? Is this like happening for everyone? Everyone's about to jump in the car for school drop-off or is this happening at the end of the day? If it's happening three minutes before school drop-off, you don't have time for a full-blown meltdown. Jump in, intervene, get them in the Love car. Love that, someone, yeah. Someone else's problem. If you've got the time <laughs> at, at the end of the day, then that might be more of a time where you step in because you may, again, it may be more indicative of like something that's happened throughout the day or they may just be hangry and tired and burnt out from a big day of school. So I think it comes down to that sort of thing. Also as well, I think like parents are really good at reading their kids. If they can see that one kid is about to have like a full-on rage and they've like blacked out, <laughs> jump in, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or if you can see the other one is just doing everything in their power to like push buttons of the other one again jump in because that's not fair but it doesn't always have to be parents stepping in to prevent sometimes it is a good idea for a number of reasons to let them hash it out Mm. that first reason being that's how they learn but number two it may be something that they just need to get off their chest you know like when when you're like really upset about something and someone tells you to calm down at that point in time no amount of calm down meditation or bubble breathing is going to help you just need to get that out and sometimes you get it out and you just feel so much better so provided that everyone is physically safe it's okay just to wait in some situations and if you've you don't have the capacity for it or it's just been one of those days where it's non-stop is it appropriate to set up like two separate play areas or like Mm. I know you probably can't lock them in two separate rooms but sometimes I'm just like if you guys are so annoyed at one another today wouldn't you prefer to just be apart but it's almost like the more annoyed they are the more they can't play separately and must be together this comes back to me pulling that trick I've said a few times where I say to the girls when they're fighting oh, it's because you guys love each other that you're doing this. And they go, oh, no, don't she's grow. And I'm like, no, it is. It's because you love each other that you're fighting so much. And it actually, it pulls them away from each other for a little bit. They're like, ew, nah, she stinks. I'm going to go over here. Totally. And you know what? Like as an adult, sometimes I need a break from Mm. my husband, my mum, my dad, my partner, you know, like my kid even. So sometimes it's totally fine to just set up separate areas for them and just set it up by saying like, sometimes I need a break and sometimes you need a break and that's okay. Let's have 45 minutes in different spaces. Yeah, it's not a punishment. It's just about giving ourselves time to ourselves because we seem to be really overwhelmed right now. Now, I'll check in with you guys in a little bit and just make sure that you guys are okay and see if you need more time or you're ready to start hanging out again. And then you can set up the boundaries for what works for your house, whether they're allowed to go on a screen in that time or whether it's just about reading quietly or drawing or playing in their room, whatever. That's everyone's decision. But it's totally fine to separate them for a little bit if if you think that that's going to be really beneficial. Absolutely. And then you see them tiptoe back together yeah. and then they're playing so beautifully and then you peer out of the corner of your eye and you're like oh look what I've and then done. five minutes later we start back all again. over again <laughs> <laughs> literally how can you teach kids that not everything is a competition oh, and some, or is that and just some normal adults. <laughs> yeah yeah and some adults totally I think it comes down to like competitiveness is like a natural part of any kind of relationship, even at school with your friends, like you get marks and then there's an average grade and the top person get, you know, like there's a Mm. prize. If you get the best mark, it's always going to be some sort of competition. You can do things like practice 
affirmations and talk about how everyone has different strengths and weaknesses. I quite like that. And maybe going around and pointing out each other's strengths and things that you're working towards or like what a goal is for you as an individual and how the family can help you like work towards that goal. And it doesn't have to be like, let's sit down and it's affirmation time. It can be like on the way to school in the car or something like that. I strongly recommend against on the way home from school, but often on the way to school is safe territory. But also figuring out what feelings are underlying that jealousy or that drive for competition, like what's going on for them and what can we do to support them? Because those emotions are super valid as well. And sometimes it comes down to like, there can be one kid in the family that might be an elite athlete and then the other one, not so much. And it can be like, they're naturally getting a lot of that attention at school or naturally getting a lot of praise from from teammates so when they come home the other one feels like there needs Uh to be a bit of competition or like I have two really young sister-in-laws one of them's like 13 one of them's 10 and the older one is just one of those really like annoying people that is just good at everything that Mm. she tries like everything and the other one is just a typical kid who's has to work really hard if she wants to be good at something and the opposite happened. So the little one started doing swimming and is really good. And she got put in the same class as her older sister. And the older sister found that so hard because it was the first time in her life that she wasn't better at something. So, you know, it can work either way. It doesn't always have to be one sibling's amazing and one's really shitty. It can be that something's changed for them and that dynamic that they're used to is shifting. And that can be really hard for them to to manage as well. I've actually found because the girls are really into gymnastics and, you know, doing handstands and cartwheels. And yes, there is absolutely one that shines brighter at certain things than the other. And I've had to, well, my husband and I have actually had to sit back and go, we can't commend them on being so good at it. We need to like say how good you guys are are for giving it a go. So changing the narrative of actually being outside and playing rather than who is doing it better changes everything. I think that's such an important point because while it's obviously important to praise a child if they've done really well in something or they've done the right thing or whatever it may be, it's important to remember, like you said, that no two kids are the same. So you can praise one kid for something and praise the other one for something else. And that's okay as well. You can do little like day dates with kids if they've done, like, let's say like there's a bit of a jealousy issue and one kid gets class captain, you can take them out separately and just give them all that Mm. praise that they need for achieving that, but maybe not rubbing it in the face of the other one and that sort of thing so that the other sibling can't necessarily see all of that. If you're in a household where that jealousy or that competitiveness is becoming a bit of an issue. Things like reward charts that a lot of parents do may not be helpful because they're then going to compare who's getting the reward quicker. So instead, just flip it a little bit and go, it's a sibling reward chart. You have to work together to get the the prize, you know, stuff like that. So then then it becomes teamwork and it's not about one sibling getting there first. It's about how can we work together to make sure we all get the reward. On that note, I'm actually a really big believer, like you said, Jade, about praising the effort or part of the process, not the outcome itself. So instead of like, oh my gosh, what a beautiful rainbow you, you've drawn. You're such a good drawer. You're the best drawer I've ever seen. And I would say like, wow, you've drawn a rainbow. Look at all those beautiful colors you've chosen. Let's see. There's pink, there's orange, blah, blah. That looks so cool. So it gives you an opportunity to praise evenly, especially if you've got one Picasso and one that's a little bit more on the abstract side of things. Well, I also, this happened for us, this realization happened when at sport carnivals, 
we were like at the start when they were in kindy or prep, they were like, we were like, oh, go Mia, yeah, you're going to come first, second or third. And we really put emphasis on winning. And the pressure that was put on them without me even knowing was so massive that we've now changed it all of it, like swim sports, everything. I, I don't even ask what they're coming. It's pretty much just saying, did you give it a go and did you get to the end? That is what we care about most. That is what the biggest accomplishment for, for, for you is and we are so proud of you. And if they want to say, oh, we came this or that, we really don't like hoe in on who came first, second or third. We just are so proud of the fact that they've given it a go. And that is really, really important for the girls because they seem a little bit calmer now. Like they just don't seem as aggro and so uptight. Like when we are just outside doing cartwheels, they know that mum is not going to be scoring who's better. <laughs> Because fuck, it's it literally goes Billy, Mia, Billy, Mia, and they're like, no, you're just you're just doing that. So we both. I'm like, no shit, I don't want to get into an argument. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think um, when I was on with you guys last time, I mentioned that there's this really awesome book called Raising an Emotionally Intelligent mm-hmm. Child, and he says the same thing. It's about being really responsive to the process, not the outcome. Because if we always focus on the outcome, kids get this like anxiety about needing to then fulfill that potential every single time, needing to do the best rainbow every time, needing to win the race every single time because they think that our love is dependent on that outcome. Right When we focus on the process, it's all about showing all the siblings in that family that we don't give a crap what the outcome is. We just want to see how you got there or what the process that you're taking to, to kind of achieve your own goal or your own version of a rainbow. Yeah, that's great. A lot of these issues come up in times of change and a lot of our questions from listeners were based around when a new sibling is born. So we'll just touch on that quickly. How can we get a child ready for a sibling and the inevitable change of attention and everything like that that comes with that? Yeah, so this is me right now. Like I'm like eight months pregnant with my second, I've got a two and a half year old at home. And I've been working really hard on trying to involve him as much as he can, like choosing outfits, choosing toys, but also not necessarily like labeling things as this is only for the baby and that sort of thing. So Luca, my son has decided all of a sudden that just baby toys are like his pride and joy now because they're in the baby's room. So he'll like wake up in the morning. He's like, I'm going to go hang out in the baby's room and like looks for our reaction. We're like, fucking go for it like no one cares sort of thing so I, give it a dusting while you're there yeah yeah no. I'm like take a wipe yeah, yeah. So like, I, I think it's all about just going like that change is going to be huge and trying not to label things as this is for the baby this is for you and that sort of thing but I also my biggest thing is it's so important not to accidentally blame the baby and it's so easy to do so instead of saying something like hey I can't play right now because the baby's crying or I'm holding the baby you can try a different language like what a great idea. I would love to play that with you. Can you get it ready? So, and I'll go put the baby down so that I can play with you. And like using that sort of language, like, let's say you've put the baby down and you get like, like four minutes of quiet before the baby Mm. cries again, instead of rushing over to grab the baby straight away. If you're engaging in play with your older child saying something like, Oh, hold on, baby. I'm just like, they can't hear, but I'm just with your brother right now. I'll be there in a second so that your older child can see like, Oh, I'm not being dismissed as soon as the baby has a need Mm. and 30 seconds isn't going to harm the baby of crying in the crib Mm. like what would you Mm. what would you do if you're in the on the toilet like you have they'd have to wait anyway so 
just doing things like that and just shifting some of the language that we're using around the new baby coming into our family can work wonders. What if you have a child and the age gap is really close and they just don't know how forceful they are to the baby? What do you do then? Yeah, it, that's a that's something that I see quite a lot, and parents freak out, going, "They're so aggressive!" Like they get, or they like put something over the baby's mouth, and it, it does become a safety issue. It can be quite scary, but I think it's also about as hard as it is trying to keep your cool in that moment and going like, wow, you're trying to give the baby this or you're trying to give the baby a cuddle because you love them so much. We have to be really gentle with babies. You can try this or you can try this and like model some things. Mm. I think lots of the time, like even when I'm talking with Luca about like hitting, if I say, you're not allowed to hit, you know that he like shuts down and gets really upset. But if I say, hey, hands are not for hitting, you can do this to mommy or can you show me Mm. a gentle way to touch mommy? That's way more successful. And I think the same thing would go with a sibling because it's about going, you're not in the wrong here. I get it. You're still learning. You're still trying to figure this out. Let me just show you some some alternatives without yeah. you. Because otherwise they'll just think I can't have anything to do with that yeah. thing because whenever I go near it, I get in trouble. In trouble. And then that can lead to a little bit of resentment because it's like this is a yelling machine. Every time I come near you, I get yelled at. Yeah. And what do we do if they're saying things like, I hate my brother, I hate my sister, like, or can my brother or sister go back now? How can we respond to that? So that, again, I just want to reiterate to anyone listening is so common. And it doesn't mean that you've got like a psychopath, sociopath, (laughs) older child at all. I just, again, would empathize with the emotion and the huge changes that have just taken place and say something like things are really tough right now. And a lot of things have changed since we've brought this baby home. It must be so hard to hear the baby cry. I know when the baby cries, sometimes it really hurts my ears, you know, or it must be hard to have to share mummy all of a sudden that's really tough I'm so sorry it feels so tough and then like problem solved together and like maybe then organizing like I've like I know that I am one of the biggest things I want to do when my second one comes is still have like even if it's for an hour a week just that one-on-one time Mm. with my oldest so that he can see that that's still our special time and he's still connected to me and often if a kid is saying that it's it's more that they're trying to project that they're feeling a little bit left out or they're feeling like something is has changed and they can't come back for it and they can't figure it out. And I just always say as well to parents, like, I think about what what a huge adjustment it was when I brought my first child home and I had no idea what I was doing and they were so loud and so triggering and I still have like flashbacks of the colic. (laughs) Now imagine how hard that is for like a three or four or five-year-old when you brought a baby home and they're not used to it. Like it's a really full-on experience. So when if they say they hate their sibling, they don't mean it. That's just they don't have the words to express how they're coping with the change. I think if you're dealing with like a toddler that is almost like resorting to like wanting to be carried or another example is like suddenly wants a bottle again and they haven't Mm. had a bottle in six months, that sort of things. It's just about going like, again, what are they trying to tell me through that? Like what's going on for them? I think for me, this is going to be really hard because I can anticipate that my son's going to be like this and I'm having a C-section. So I actually won't be physically able to carry him so I think it's just about going like how can I adjust here like if the baby's down use that time like don't do the washing that can wait like use that time to bond with the older one or if they really want to be carried maybe sit down and go like hey I'm not carrying like come snuggle with us I can have one under both arm or those sorts of things and I think as well like call for backup 
you know, I know that's not a luxury that everyone has access to, but if you do have a partner, a family member, a trusted babysitter, call for backup because it's so overwhelming when you go from zero to one and then from one to two and two to three or whatever, there's always going to be transitions that are, that are challenging in their own ways. And I know that I found it so hard to ask for help the first time around. And it's something that I know I'm going to be re- like, I've made a point of making sure I'm going to be much more mindful of asking for help this time around or even accepting help. So if you are like, let's say you're a single parent or you can't have that time alone, you know, with your oldest child, maybe it's more so going like, Hey, you know what? you're at school, but I think we need a bit of a mental health day and just taking Mm. a day off school and like Mm. doing something fun. And like, and maybe the baby has to come along to that, but you're in charge of the day. Like, what do you want to do today? Whatever you want to do, we're going to do it because this is your day. And I want to show you that I really appreciate how hard this has been. And I want you to know that I'm so thankful about how, and I'm really really proud of you for how you're adjusting because it's not easy. I think the biggest thing is listening and not giving your own advice back to them and just hearing what they have to say. It's really nice to do that. That's something quite different we've done this postpartum is that, you know, I feel like when you have your first, all you want is for someone to please come over, hold my baby so I can shower, so I can eat, da-da-da-da. Whereas this time we've kind of funneled our resources and obviously every situation is different, but I feel like when you're looking forward at your postpartum, you should look at like, you know, what finances do I have and how do I want to split that? And one thing we've done is a few times we've had a babysitter just take the girl, take the older two girls out for a morning especially if Nick can't be home for a morning and it's a weekend or whatever and you know the babies our babysitter took them one time to this epic park near our house and they just got to like spend the time outside they didn't have to look at me feeding they didn't have to be yeah. told to wait or if you've got family who are around to help like you know sure having them help you in the home is important but sometimes it can be even better if they just take the other two children somewhere and do something fun so that they can feel loved. 100%. And I think it's so it's so important because like I said, having a new sibling enter the family is just such a huge adjustment for everyone. And it's like the whole world's being turned on whether it's your first or whether it's your seventh you know what I mean like there's a change to the family unit and that's going to take some adjusting and I think the point that you made Jade about like just being able to listen is so important because yeah. I think as parents we often jump in and want to problem solve but something I actually do with my mum now is when I call her and I want to have a rant I say like I don't want advice. I just need you to listen yeah, to me. Yeah, okay. Huge. And then she just like listens. Whereas if I don't say that, she's like, well, what about this? Or I like saw this really interesting thing on sunrise and I'm like, my God, like I don't want that advice. I just mm. want you to listen to me. I say that to my husband. But also. Yeah, if I say I've got a headache, he asks me if I've drunk enough water. So like, you know, he's he's that kind of person. So I just go like, all right, listen to me, vent. We can come up with a solution later. I don't need your solution right now. Yeah, I say like that's my number one piece of advice when I'm talking to parents of older kids and when older, I mean like maybe eight or above. I say to ask them, do you want a soundboard or do you want advice? And they'll tell you, I want a sound. I just want you to listen. Then you go, right, I've got it. And then you can give them their full attention because you're not focusing on trying to come up with a solution for them. Well, I think that's most things. I feel like we've covered so much ground today. And I feel like one of the biggest things is, and it's 
often so common in these conversations we have is that our expectations are yeah. just too high of these little beings. Literally, that nine times out of ten, if there's a problem, I guarantee you that's the problem. That it's it's an us problem, not a them problem. Yeah, that's hard to admit though, isn't it? It is when we're so perfect. I don't know about you guys, but I'm the perfect. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. We wish you all the best with the rest of this pregnancy, and we maybe can speak to you on the other side, yeah. and you can tell us how you're going with the siblings' interactions. I've just shot myself in the foot, haven't I? (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so, so much and we'll speak to you again soon. No worries. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.